Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We are starting a new series, and it's called Seven Signs, the Miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And so this is going to lead up to uh, Easter, and so it'll be a great time to invite folks and uh, we'll be looking at the seven signs in John. And the first sign that we're going to look at today is the wedding in Cana where Jesus changed the water into wine. Now, to set up this series, I want you to realize that the purpose of these seven signs are to point people to Jesus. He's the Messiah and he's the Savior of the world. And John wrote his gospel for that reason. In John 20, verse 30 and 31, The scripture says Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these, the the seven that John highlights in his gospel, these signs are, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there's a reason why Jesus highlights these seven signs in his gospel. It's not to impress you. It's not to provide some wonder and miracle show, but it's to show you how Jesus demonstrates these are signs that point to something bigger, that he's more than a man, that he is the Messiah, okay? He is the Son of God, and we're going to look at that this morning. Years ago on The Tonight Show when Johnny Carson was the host, Uh, He interviewed an eight-year-old boy. Uh, The reason why this boy was on the show is he had rescued some friends in a coal mine outside his hometown in West Virginia. As Johnny was questioning the boy, it became clear to him that this young man was a Christian. And so he asked him, he says, young man, do you attend Sunday school? And he says, yes, I do. And so he said, what are you learning in Sunday school? And the the boy said, well, last week our lesson was about Jesus went to a wedding and he turned water into wine. And the crowd kind of chuckled and um, Johnny looked at him and said, well, what did you learn from that story? And the boy kind of squirmed in his chair. He really hadn't thought about it. And then he looked up and he said, if you're going to have a wedding, you need to invite Jesus. And you know what? That is true. If you're going to have a wedding, you need to invite Jesus. You know, think about it. Weddings are one of those milestone moments in life. It's supposed to be one of the happiest days in our lives. And Jesus took the time to go to a wedding. Now, we're in John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. Well, you know, most of the time, if you get invited to a wedding, you know them and they know you. And this is in Galilee, where Jesus is from. And it's in, uh, it's in Canaan, home of uh, Nathaniel. And uh, here they are at a wedding. Now, before we dive into the story, there's a few things I want you to, to notice. Because if you really want to get the impact of this first sign, it's more than, oh, isn't it cute? Jesus had a wedding. Oh, they ran out of wine. Oh, wow, he turned water into wine. You know, we we miss the magnitude of that moment. So I want to kind of back up for a moment 
And I want to point out a few things I want you to pay attention to as we process this story. And the, the first thing I want you to notice is the context of Old Testament imagery. Okay, the context of Old Testament imagery. Let me, let me back up for a moment. I just told you the purpose of the Gospel of John there in John 20 verse 30 is that John says, look, Jesus performed a lot of signs and many of them are not written in this book, but seven of them are and they point to something greater, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Anointed One, okay? He is the one that God sent. Now, before we dive into the story, I want you to see how John takes us to this story about a, a wedding where the waters turn to wine. Look at how John begins his gospel in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, as soon as you read that first sentence, particularly the first three words, in the beginning, what does that remind you of? Where have we heard that before, in the beginning? Genesis 1.1. In Genesis 1.1, the very first sentence in the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So, in the Old Testament, Genesis 1, we have creation. Now, what John is trying to tell us is, we've got something new. It's new creation. You're fixing to see it. That's, that's the setup for water, wine, okay? So John starts out with, in the beginning, reminding you of Genesis, reminding you of creation, so he can point to a new creation. The next thing you see in John's writing here, and I love John's writing because on the surface you read it and you go, simple, you know, seven signs, that's why he wrote the book. I got this. And then you look at his language, light, dark. You know, he talks about all those things. And you're like, okay, I got this. But then when you read John again, you're like, this guy's deep. I mean, John's the one that God used to write Revelation. Okay, so this is deep. The next thing I want you to see is just like in creation, remember the Genesis account? Remember that God created everything in six days. On the seventh day, He rested. So we have the seven days of creation. Don't you think it's peculiar that the story begins in John 2, 1, on the third day a wedding took place in Cana? What's that got to do with anything? It's interesting how John uses time in his gospel. What you see here in John 1 is you see four days, and then on the third day the wedding in Cana, which is seven days. Let me point that out to you real quick. There in John 1, verses 19 through 28, it highlights... John the Baptist's testimony. He comes and people ask him, who are you? He says, I'm not the Messiah. I am not the one. Well, well who are you then? And he says, I'm a, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, just like Isaiah said. And that is one day. Then in verse 29 of John 1, the next day. So that testimony that John the Baptist gave was one day. And then in verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the second day. Then in verse 35, the next day, that's number three now, John was standing with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Then go on down to verse 43. The next day, that'd be number four now, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And he found Philip and told him, follow me. Okay, And that's 
how uh, uh, Philip, uh, the hometown of Andrew and, and, and Peter, uh, they came, and then, uh, you know, that, that's, that's the party that's with Jesus. And then John 2, verse 1, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. So in John 1, he highlights four days. And then John 2, 1, he mentions on the third day of the wedding in Cana. Seven days. So look at the symbolism here. Look at the imagery that, that John is painting with his canvas. In the beginning, creation. Seven days, wedding. It gets even better. Then... He highlights there was a wedding. Wasn't there a wedding in the garden? God created Adam and Eve. And for this reason, a, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they'll become one flesh, right? And uh, here is a wedding. Then you've got another detail that's interesting, and that is this. This wedding would be on the seventh day. But it says here on the third day a wedding took place. It depends on what, what, what you're counting from. The third day from when Jesus left to go to Galilee, or if you're looking at the account of John 1 and 2, seven days. So then you have to ask yourself, what's the significance between day 3 and day 7? And interestingly enough, in the Old Testament law, there's a connection between the third and the seventh day. It deals with when someone is unclean for touching a dead body. There in Numbers 19.11, in, in the law that God gave Moses to give to Israel, in Numbers 19.11, the person who touches any human corpse will be unclean for seven days. He is to purify himself with water on the third day and the seventh day. He's to purify himself with what? Water. On the third day and the seventh day. And then he'll be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third and seventh days, he will not be clean. Anyone who touches the body of a person who has died and then does not purify himself defies the tabernacle of the Lord. That person will be cut off from Israel. He remains unclean because the water for impurity has not been sprinkled on him and his uncleanness is still on him. Now it's interesting. Uh, if you touch a dead body, you're unclean for seven days. The only way you can be clean is you have to be purified with water on the third day and the seventh day uh, so, that, so that you can uh, not defile the tabernacle of the Lord. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Go down to verse 14, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Your English version says dwelt among us, tabernacle. Let that sink in for a minute. All the colors, all the imageries. He's painting a picture and a beautiful portrait. He's trying to catch the Jews' eye. Something is new here. And then we have an interesting fact. As you read the miracle in John 2, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, asked Jesus, hey, they don't have any wine, you know, implying, what are you going to do? He says, what does that have to do with you and me, woman? Now, it's interesting here, because in John's gospel, Mary's name's never mentioned. The name Mary's not mentioned. She's the mother of Jesus. But her name, Mary, is not mentioned in the gospel of John. 
And in the two encounters that Jesus has with uh, his mother, he calls her woman both times. And that's not being disrespectful, okay? If you look at his ministry, whenever he ministered to the woman that had been bleeding and the other ones, he would call her woman, okay? Just uh, be like we would say today, ma'am, okay? And so it's interesting that here is the woman. And in creation, remember after the fall, there is the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the serpent's head. So all of these imageries that are present in the original creation are now getting our attention. Bells and whistles should be going off. Because John is setting up that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then in verse 14, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is God. He's more than a man. He's the Messiah. And just like in the beginning, well, here He is right now. And just like in the seven days... Here he is fixing to do something new. And just like on the third day and the seventh day, you had to be cleansed by water to, to avoid being defiled, here is Jesus that is offering something different. And then in John 1, it says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses was someone that turned water into something. But what did it turn into? It turned into blood. And that represents judgment. But here is Jesus, and He's about to turn water into wine. And wine is a symbol of joy in the Old Testament. And so here is Jesus showing up on the scene, and yeah, it's a wedding, and yeah, they ran out of wine, and yeah, He turned the water into wine, but there is so much more going on if you pay attention to the clues. So the first thing I want you to see here is the context of Old Testament imageries Images that are all in, in and around the story. The uh, second thing I want you to see is the theme of God's timing. Look, if you will, on the story itself in John 2. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother, notice it doesn't say Mary, but that's who she is. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. And when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him they don't have any wine. Now, if we stop there for a minute, that's a big problem. If you know how weddings go in Jewish culture, it wasn't a big day like we do it in American culture. It could be up to a week long. Like they showed up, they had the wedding, and then they had a big old feast party, if you will, and they celebrated for a whole week. And whoever, you know, you invited to the wedding, you were taking care of them for a whole week. And now here we are at the wedding and they're out of wine. Oh my goodness, this is not good. I mean, this is one of those milestone moments in your life. And so talk about social embarrassment. And, and so it's likely here that they were friends or perhaps relatives of, uh, of the, the people in the wedding. Mary obviously was helping with it. And she goes to Jesus as soon as she learns of the problem. And she goes, they don't have any wine. And then Jesus says, what does that have to do with you and me, woman? Now, again, in our American culture, in, in our modern English vernacular, we look at that and we would probably go, how rude, right? 
we'd look at, man, I can't believe Jesus taught like that. But that is an idiom in Greek. It occurs about four or five times, I believe, in the New Testament and some in the Old Testament. And the gist of that saying is, what's that got to do with me? Okay, if I were to put it in our modern day uh, vernacular, you know, somebody has a problem and, and, you know, they come to you and you go, you know, what's that got to do with me? I mean, what do you want me to do? And so that is Jesus response. And he says it for a reason. He says, my hour has not yet come. Of all people. Mary knew who Jesus was. I mean, she was a, a virgin. And the Holy Spirit conceived in her, Jesus. She carried him full term and had baby Jesus. And she knew that this child was the Son of God. She treasured a lot of things up in her heart. And now Jesus is grown. And they're at a wedding. And this is a big moment. And now here's a big need. They're out of wine. And she's kind of prodding him a little bit. You know, like, <clears throat> you know, they're out of wine. Translation, I know who you are. I know what you can do. I need you to do something about this. And Jesus always has a sense of God's timing. He knew God had sent him, sent, sent, sent him here. He knew that he had a purpose on this earth. He knew that ultimately he was going to go to the cross and lay down his life for, for the world. And he, he knew what, what time it was. And so he says here, and again, when John introduces timing, it's very intentional. He says, my hour has not yet come. And so Mary turns away and says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do, which is good advice, by the way. You know, this hour that has not yet come, let me, let me rapid fire these because I want you to see the theme in John's gospel. In John 7, uh, verse 30, they try to seize Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. John 8, 20, he spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. John 12, 23, Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. John 12, 27 and 8, He says, Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that's why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then the voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. John 13, 1, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. And having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And then the last one in John 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son so that the Son may glorify You. So when John uses this, this metaphor of my hour has not yet come, what's he talking about? He's talking about His death and His resurrection. And here is Jesus. He knows what God's called Him to do. And He doesn't want to do anything until the Father says, it's time. See, John, uh, Jesus could have done a very public miracle at this wedding. Instead, He told the servants, 
Go fill those, jar, those jars with water. Now I want you to draw the water and take it to the headmaster. And they did. And the guy sipped it and said, man, this is the best wine I've ever had. The only people that knew was Mary, Jesus, his disciples, and the servant that drew the water. Nobody else knew. So that is the theme of God's timing. There's one last thing I want you to see, and that is the creative power of Jesus. Look, if you will, for the, the rest of the story. You know, Mary walks away and tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. And in verse 6, now six stone water jars have been set there for Jewish purification. And each contained 20 or 30 gallons. So Jesus told them, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. And when the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And he called the groom and he told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. And then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you've kept the fine wine until now. Was it potent wine? I'm sure it was. Otherwise, the man would not have said it. Now, here's the big idea. What do we need to understand about this story? Why did John put it in his gospel? And out of all the signs he could have done, why did he lead off with water to wine? Well, again, as we looked at the clues a while ago, in the beginning, the seven days, the third and the fourth day, the seed of the woman, and all of these clues... There's a new creation. There's a new creation that's about to be displayed. The first thing I want you to understand is this was a sign. It says in verse 11, John did this, or Jesus did this, excuse me, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. In other words, this was a sign. A sign is a miracle with a message. That's why Adrian Rogers said years ago, you know, believe in miracles, but trust in Jesus. Because the sign points to the Savior. The sign points to the Savior, uh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so, as uh, Ray Stedman said, what it pictured was the normal outcome of the combination of human and divine activity. How, do, how can I say that? Men can fill water jars, but only God can turn water into wine. Men do the ordinary things, the normal everyday activity things. But God, when He touches something, He brings it to life. He gives it flavor and fragrance and effect. That's why Adrian Rogers says Jesus is God's answer to man's disappointment. And that's true. One of the biggest, brightest moments of your life, a wedding day. And you know how it is. How many weddings have you been to where something always goes wrong? You know, through all the years that I've done uh, officiated weddings, seems like there's always some little wrinkle that happens that was unexpected, unaccounted for. And yet the show goes on, right? It, it all works out in the end. Well, here they are. They're out of wine. What do you do? Jesus is God's answer to man's disappointment. So what do we need to understand? That this was a sign that points to something greater. Number two, it revealed His glory. 
Read John 2.11 again. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory. Through this miracle, through this sign, Jesus reveals his glory. How did he do that? Remember John 1.1 and John 1.14, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is God in the flesh. He is the creator. He is the miracle uh, uh, himself. And so it is no problem at all for him to turn water into wine. He reveals his glory. I like what um, Ray Steadman said on this. He said, here in this event, this miracle, this water to wine moment, we see both His grace and His truth. Remember in John 1, it says that, you know, through, through Moses came the law, but through Jesus came grace and truth. Well, here we see both grace and truth. His grace is made known in the fact that He brought with Him five of His disciples. If you look at chapter 1, He had John, He had Philip, He had Nathaniel, He had Andrew, and he had Peter. And you add Jesus, there's six. How many jars were there? Six. His wedding gift to the couple that day, take the six jars, fill them with water, and then when he says the word, they become wine. That, my friends, is grace. That is grace. What a gracious thing he did. Perhaps they didn't realize Jesus was bringing five more people with him and maybe that contributed to the lack of wine. I don't know, but he took care of them and that was grace. Not only that, but when it comes to truth, the glory of Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. And he made himself known in this miracle, this sign, showing that he is Lord over nature. I mean, you can, I suppose, turn water to wine if you've got the right equipment you've got the right ingredients and you've got time to go through the fermenting process which leads me to C.S. Lewis C.S. Lewis said this if we open books like Grimm's fairy tales or the Italian epics we find ourselves in a world of miracles so diverse that they can hardly be classified beasts turn into men men into beasts or trees trees talk ships become goddesses and a magic ring can call tables to spread with food, to appear in places. If such things really happened, they would, I suppose, show that nature was being invaded, but they would show that she was being invaded by an alien power. And then he says this, the fitness of the Christian miracles and their difference from those mythological miracles lies in the fact that they show invasion by a power that's not an alien. They are what might be expected to happen when she's invaded simply not by God, but by the God of nature, by a power which is outside our jurisdiction, not as a foreigner, but as a sovereign. They proclaim that he who has come is not merely a king, but the king and the king of nature. I like that. In other words, Jesus performs a miracle that only he could do. And it shows that He is Creator, that He is Sustainer, that He is Lord of all. What else do we need to understand? It's a sign. 
It reveals Jesus' glory. And this is the most important part. It says there in John 2.11, Jesus did this, the first of His signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed His glory and His disciples believed in Him. His disciples believed in Him. That's what you need to understand. They saw the sign. It revealed His glory. They caught the clues and they went, He's the one. He's the one and they believed in Him. These disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and John. John said it well at the end of his gospel in chapter 20, verse 30, that Jesus performed many other signs not, not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by uh, believing you may have life in His name. I want to tell you today, when you look at how Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, he is Lord of nature. He is the only one that could have done that. I mean, He did this miracle. He could have done something you know, interesting. He could have spoke or whatever, but He just simply said, fill it with water, draw it and take it to the headmaster. And all of a sudden, that is wine. And not cheap wine, but the good stuff, as they say. And so here is Jesus displaying a miracle. He's displaying a miracle because the one that Moses... When Moses came, he turned water to blood, and it was a picture of judgment. But even Moses wrote in the law, one day there is one that's coming, and that will be Messiah. And here is Jesus turning the water to wine. It's not about judgment. It's about salvation. And when you look at the wedding background, what a beautiful way for God to say, I love you. I love you. I've come to this earth. I made this earth. I made you and I want you to know I'm coming for you. I want to get to know you. I want you to be one of my people and I have done everything it takes for you to come and know me. And even though you are defiled by sin, even though you, you can't do anything in and of yourself, I've come to fulfill the law, not do away with the law. That water that can purify you on the third and the seventh day, well, He comes on that seventh day, which is actually the third day there in Cana at the wedding. And He takes the water, and instead of turning it to the blood of judgment, He turns it to wine to say, I've got joy, unspeakable and full of glory. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know that I am the one. I want you to know that if you'll come to me, you can be a new creation. Think about that. He can change you from a sinner under condemnation to a child of God that has received salvation. Today, I pray that you'll take this miracle to heart. I pray that you'll catch the sign and the clues and realize that Jesus is more than a man. He is the Messiah. And maybe today is the day that you need to take that step and say, I'm going to leave my life of sin, and I'm going to trust and follow Jesus. Let's stand. Musicians, if you would come. Ushers, if you would come. We're going to have a time of prayer and a time of invitation. And it's my prayer today that God will speak to you. It's my prayer today that God will uh, do something awesome in your life. And it's my prayer for each and every one of you that you won't put it off another day. That you will simply trust and obey Trust and follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you.
Lord, thank you for this time and opportunity we've had to worship you. Lord, we worship you through song. We've, we've heard your, your, your word and the message in the scriptures. Father, we realize that you are the one. You are the Son of God. You're the Savior of the world. You're the Messiah. And Father, you're the only one that can change our lives. Lord, you're the only one that can come in the midst of our need and our lack. And Lord, you can fill things to the brim and you can completely change things from water to wine. Father, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, have your will and way in this service. Lord, speak to each and every heart. And Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Won't you come right now? We're going to open up this altar for prayer. And uh, if you want to come down and talk, that's what we'll do. If you want to turn this in and let us know where you are and your relationship with God, I want to have a conversation with you. Just indicate that as well. And we're fixing to sing and, and bring everything to Jesus. Amen. Let's sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsomerset.com.